You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Cat Haters. I'm sorry. Welcome back to the Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and uh, this is episode 121. Fran, I'm wondering how many people shut it off already <laughs> with that little stunt you just pulled. Uh, well, I'm just going by votes. Yeah, I, I guess we'll true. get to that. That so. is true. That is some coming up, but we have some stuff we want to catch up on first. And, um, and first up was... Uh, I guess we'll start with the the poll the, we had on the energy episode. Yes, and um, so with that, we we put it out to you guys to vote and say, is this something that you want to hear about green energy, or you don't want to hear about green energy? And the the what brought this all up was we started talking about um, wind, offshore wind farms. Yeah, yes, and um, and then we were like, oh, we don't really know what we're talking about, but we're voicing some. I wouldn't even call them opinion, quasi-opinions where we were kind of wishy-washy. We are basically saying we didn't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, And it was something we just didn't want to deviate too far away from native plants yes. um, and native habitats. But I think there's a way we can tie them together in yeah. a way. And I kind of feel like we have with other episodes. Yeah. But I guess this was a far enough deviation that we wanted yep. to see how yep. everyone felt about it. So, and uh, yeah, so, but... We had a, I wouldn't say it was an overwhelming yes, but it was a 60-40 yeah, yes it was to, 19, to know. Yeah, so. 19 to 13. And a lot of people, you know, if you look at the comments as well, it was, I'm okay hearing about this if it can tie in with native plants. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how else to do that other than how it affects habitat or yeah. is it a loss of habitat or, yep. you know, we can try to find a way to do that. I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure how to do that, but there's got to be some way yeah. to do it but we have some good leads on guests uh yeah. some people we know some people we don't know we're reaching out to so uh stay tuned for rude discussion on on green energy yes. sources coming in in the near uh near future yes um we'll mention our job opportunity because i'm getting yes. it's getting closest i said mid-september we want to make a decision we're getting close to that mm-hmm. date we've already started to, to filter through some resumes and uh so if you're interested in our job opportunity we have we're hiring an assistant propagator to work here at the nursery, going out and doing a lot of seed collecting, propagating plants from seed and cuttings and that kind of stuff. Um, you get to work with one of the best propagators in the country, in our, our propagator, Glenn Rogers. So if you're interested in that or you know someone who might be interested in that, uh, send a resume our way. Uh, my email is just tom at pinelandsnursery.com. I've, I, you know, I've been fortunate. I've got to work with some of the best propagators in the, the industry, both native plants and non-native plants. Um, like – Seriously, some – I'd say top – you know, a few of the top five mm-hmm. or a few of the top ten, um, and it's – not too many opportunities like this pop up, and I've learned a lot from – I've worked with Glenn over 20 years. Mm-hmm. I've learned an awful lot from him, so it's it's an opportunity to be part of a winning team uh, and work with a fantastic propagator. Yeah, so – and then, uh, I, Fran, I see you have – a note in here saying no cotton clem. Yeah, so we we did pick two winners, and mm-hmm. uh, the first one did reach out to us, and and we're going to send those plants after the holiday. We're I was a little concerned. Well, we both were about mm-hmm. um, the the dry weather we've been getting, and they're in the northeast, so I'm confident I can get 50 different native plants. Yeah, I just wanted to 
to give our winner the best opportunity mm-hmm. for success. So we're going to wait till after the holiday to put that together and mail it out. But the other winner, Cotton Clem, has not contacted us. So, so I'd say by the next buzz. Yeah, it might have been something where they're behind or, or just missed their name being yeah. called. So by episode 123, if you haven't reached out, you want to pick another winner or we're going to let yeah, it go? we'll just let it go. We'll just let it go. Because so we, right. we only had one winner. We we did not specify which way we were going to count sixty six spaces. Yeah. So um and then so we counted both ways and picked both. Yeah. And so one person's already getting their plans. So yeah. So Cotton Clem, you have two weeks mm-hmm. to to reach out to us. So uh, make sure you do that. Yeah. And then uh, let's see. We have a couple live. Well, we have a live show coming up, and we have a presentation coming up. The first one is uh, on September twenty second at seven p.m. at Hopewell Train Station. And that's the presentation we're doing for the the Sourlings Conservancy. And this will be the first time Tom and I Tom and I have given this presentation before, but it'll be the first time since since we've started the podcast that we'll have the opportunity to do it live. So we're really looking for it. There's going to be some native plant people. There's going to be people that aren't native plant people. So if you're in the area, I know Rick McCoy uh, is going to try to make mm-hmm. it. Some of our previous There's guests a and people listeners. have reached out and said they know yeah. that we're going to it and they're going to try and make yeah. it. So. so if you can make it, it would be great. We would love to see your faces and, and get to say hello to a lot of you. Yeah. Uh, and the second one is the live show for the native plant uh, Native Plant Society of New Jersey, New Jersey yeah. uh, the Hudson chapter. And that's going to be at James Braddock Park in North Bergen, New Jersey. At the Nature's Park Cafe, it starts at 2 p.m. You can come a little early. There's some plant sales going on. Plant sales from 10 to 2, and I think the cafe only holds 75 people. So it is limited spacing. So if mm-hmm. if you want to come, make sure you get there a little bit early. We'll be set up, uh, and we have a fantastic guest. We have Dr. Randy Eckel. Plus, we're going to take live questions from the audience. So mm-hmm. um, this is a first for us, and we're really I'm really excited about the live yeah. show. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't wait to feed off the energy of the crowd. Hopefully, people show up. I yeah. think they will. And then uh, the last little note we had on for follow was actually requested from our our Facebook group. They said, "How did you not talk about Arthur Shapiro's pushback?" And I didn't. You know, I forgot. About I didn't that know part. who Arthur Shapiro was. But you know, it, it's we. I, I he may not have mentioned it by name, but when we had Doctor Talamy on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we asked him about opposition to his beliefs. He was talking about Arthur Shapiro, and the two of them are mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's Arthur Shapiro has a stance on what if if it really makes a difference what Doug is preaching, mm-hmm. and to what extent is restoration with climate change mm-hmm. and what you're trying to restore. Which we'll get into that a little bit yeah, later, yep. also. But and, uh, and I, I kind of feel like part of me is is he riding Dr. Talamy's coattails to try to get known for being the opposition to what he says, or does he really believe it? I don't. Yeah, I'll, so I'll I'll first defend myself because this was uh, included in Fran's article that the Washington Post had put out. Um, but Fran did not include that in his dissection of that. Well, article. I couldn't do. I, it <laughs> so, was such a so long article. That's when uh, when. Deborah Rosenthal, who's been on the podcast and a a longtime fan, brought it up that we didn't discuss. I'm like, I don't even know who she's talking about. Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing is if I didn't remember, and if you Google Arthur Shapiro, he's one of the lawyers Mm -hmm. involved in the – what's the the guy? Jeffrey Epstein Mm -hmm. case. So it kind of like – I was like, what is she talking about? But it's – it's one of those things where that article, I only read one-tenth of the article. It was mm-hmm. such a long, oh, article, a long article that I couldn't. Great article. It, the other thing you dropped the ball on is that you forgot to mention that it brought up 
And a lot of the pictures in the article were from our friends at Carolina Native Nursery down in Asheville, or is Burnsville, North Carolina, yeah. not too far from Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, so I had to give them a little shout out online too um, on our Facebook page. But yeah, I, I agree with your standpoint on that, Fran. Um, it's not even that it's my standpoint. Yeah. I'm just curious what the motive is for if he truly believes mm-hmm. that. Oh, I, that I, I wasn't way- agreeing with that part. Oh, okay. I was agreeing with the first part that you said where I think it was the first part. You said maybe I'm making this up in my head, uh-huh. but about how that, yeah, I think that he, Arthur Shapiro's point of view is incorrect. Yes. But I can understand the sense of the point of view. And um, just because there's a lot of different, we're, we've drawn a line for what yeah. is a native plant and what we want to restore things to. And uh, yeah, there's questions on, is the line in the correct place? Uh, should it be at a different time point? And we're going to get into this a little bit later, so I don't want to yeah, spoil and, too much. And I think right now, I, I think drawing the line where this doesn't matter is mm-hmm. never the right answer. Because yeah. um, I think we've had a lot of guests that prove a very good point that actually back up what Doctor Tallamy says. That yeah, every every little bit matters. Like mm-hmm. we've talked about it all the time. Like if everyone planted one native plant in their yard, it helps connectivity. Yeah. You know, yeah. very slightly, but it, it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Um and there's yeah, it's it's a whole nother conversation that we'll delve I don't even know how deep we'll go into it later. Yeah. That might even be a future. I think that's probably our it's more it might be yeah, a habit is our, our uh take it or leave it, but it's more of a topic. Yeah. I think we'll get pretty deep with it, it later. But it, you're gonna have that's a call to tease. Yes. You're gonna have to wait till the end of the episode for us to talk about it. Or just hit that skip button <laughs> second button a whole bunch of times. It's gonna be near the end. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we get into the plants we're vibing with this week and start with that's hot. Would you like to go, or would yeah, you like I can me to go because mine is incredibly simple. Okay. Uh, mine is simply I didn't do any write ups or anything. Right. It's just paw paws. If you aren't eating them, why aren't you eating them already? We've talked about them multiple times. Yeah, um, you should be eating paw paws if they're available native to your area. If they're not available but are native to your area, hey, maybe go and buy some uh, buy some trees or find some seeds and plant them, and then mm-hmm. you can be the person with the paw paws yeah. around. I mean, Johnny. Uh, Dr. Johnny Kispe, our last guest, mm-hmm. you know, mentioned that as his favorite plant. And yeah. it's native plant, I should say. It's it's a fantastic plant. And my first experience was eating them here and thinking, why have I never had this before? Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. It's uh, – yeah, they're they're wonderful. And I would um, rather have that, you know, because there's a lot. All right. I know I'm picky and I have mm-hmm. taste, but I'd rather have a pawpaw than a mango or, or mm-hmm. a cantaloupe yeah. or something. Like cantaloupe it just seems is, more right. What, Little aside here, uh, I was saw Russ Fernari last Friday, and he was saying he loves when we get in the food debates. Fruit, morning fruit. It sends. It seems to be like cantaloupe and, Grape, and honeydew grapefruit. and grapefruit. Like a grapefruit too, but I'm between cantaloupe and honeydew. Which do you prefer? None of them because I don't like the texture of any melon. Yeah. I tend like, to skip them when uh, when you have the breakfast buffet and just yeah. go straight to the bacon or the sausage. Oh but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if I'm doing breakfast fruit, I'm yeah. doing. Grapes, blueberries, strawberries, mm-hmm. maybe some orange. But melon for me, it, it's a yeah. texture thing. I like the flavors of them. Can't stand the taste. Yeah. Like they're actually almost creepy in my mouth. Like I don't know how else to explain yeah. it. I've always had this debate about whether honeydew or, or cantaloupe, and I've come to the consensus that you have a more consistent – if you're at that buffet and you're yeah. all, you got to choose between yeah. honeydew or cantaloupe, it's uh, you're going to have more consistent results – with the cantaloupe. Yeah, I've never had bad uh, cantaloupe. 
But I've never had an awesome cantaloupe, too. Where honeydew, I've had really bad ones, and then I've had stuff that blows your right, mind. Cantaloupe or kiwi? Because um, I've seen kiwi in I breakfast fruit. kiwi a lot. I'd probably choose kiwi. I haven't had a kiwi in so long. I just had kiwi about anyway, two weeks ago. Back yeah, to the anyway. pawpaws. In lieu of a little description and write-up on it, I'm just going to read <laughs> off of uh, Hank Shaw's pawpaw ice cream recipe oh, and give you the right. ingredients so you can go shopping this weekend right. and get the, all the ingredients until you find your pawpaws. Awesome. Uh, you're going to need... One and a half cups of mashed pawpaw, so that's about four or five pawpaws yeah. uh, he puts in there. Two cups of cream, two cups of milk, a scant cup of sugar, um, which I don't know what that means. I'm like, guessing like, like a little probably bit Probably like three now. quarters of yeah. a cup, you know. Well, it, then they'd say three quarters of a cup, friend. I don't. Because a scant cup, is, maybe it's like 15, 16th of a cup. Um, so it, not an over <laughs> overflowing yeah. don't, cup. Don't have it yeah. not packed down and uh, a half of vanilla bean or one tablespoon or one teaspoon of vanilla extract. Um, and then five egg yolks. Uh, start by making this custard for the ice cream. Heat the cream and the milk sugar in pot over medium heat to the steaming point, about 165. If you're using a real vanilla bean, add it to the mixture now. If you're using extract, wait a bit. Beat the egg yolks in a bowl, stirring the eggs all the time. Add one ladle of the hot cream mixture into the eggs. Do this a second time. This is tempering the eggs so they don't curdle in the hot cream. That's very important. Otherwise, you have scrambled eggs in your ice yeah. cream. Not a good mix. Um, Pour the egg mixture into the pot. Stir the custard often and heat it back to the steaming point. When it thickens, it should coat the back of a spoon. Turn off the heat and pour the custard in the bowl. I like to set the bowl in a larger bowl. Filled with ice to cool the mixture down quickly. Stir in the vanilla extract if that's what you're using. When the custard is cool, whisk in the mashed pawpaws until they are well combined. You can put this mixture in your ice cream maker now, or you can push it through a fine mesh strainer to move any stray bits. You'll need to fish out uh, the vanilla bean if you use this anyway. Run through your ice cream machine and eat. Nice. Typically, you, uh, what I would do, you run it through the ice cream machine, then I put it in like a, a Tupperware, put it in the freezer to let it like kind of harden a little bit more, and then you'll have more of that like hard ice cream instead of like that soft serve that melts really quick. Yeah. So, pawpaw ice cream is amazing. It's a great way to consume it. It just the flavors really marry well, but it's different mm-hmm. than anything else you've had as an ice cream too. So, yeah, that's my plant. Definitely. If you aren't eating pawpaws. This is the year you should start. And if you're planting pawpaws, you need two yep. if you want fruit. So one's not going to go notice, And this was going to be my article, but it was behind a paywall for National Geographic. But it was like 26 places you can find pawpaws in the U.S., like places you can actually mm-hmm. buy the fruit. Um, and I found out about this article because our friend Rose Robson from Robson Farm in uh, in North Hanover, New Jersey, was on this list. And she has a big pawpaw grove with all a couple different varieties of pawpaws um, that were selected for like the size and the t- yeah. taste and flavor, that kind of stuff. So if you're in the area or you're passing through New Jersey, you're going to the, the Jersey Shore for uh, Labor Day weekend, stop on over there. She's not too far off. Or, yeah, she's right on 537. Yeah, right on the so way to the beach. kind of on the way to the beach. So Awesome. Great, great choice. Place to pick up pawpaws. Fantastic. You, you can and never go wrong with Assuming pawpaws. that she has pawpaws out there already. <laughs> I know they're just yeah, starting to the harvest now. I saw a box in the, the uh, shipping building. That's what reminded oh, me. Oh, I'm going to have to. Stop by and get some. Yeah. So my, I'm kind of cheating because last week I, I called an audible or last buzz and I didn't use the one I had. So I, I figured I'd go back to it since it's still hot right now. But um, I mentioned in the last buzz um, purple lovegrass. So Aragrostis spectabilis. Uh, we have it growing in our seed fields. I've never really seen it in mass like that before, but it the that like the hazy reddish purple mm-hmm. inflorescence like in full bloom and it's low it only gets like one to two foot tall and i'm like this is such a wonderful wonderful plant like if you're looking for like a low edge 
uh, or like a, a mulch in front of some taller stuff. It, it works out really good. Uh, it's a sun-loving native grass that prefers dry, barren, uh, sandy, or gravel conditions. It's fibrous and rhizomatic uh, root system, um, and just it, it it can spread. So if if you're in a place where it can spread or you need it contained, just know that it will spread through rhizomes. Um, and it's it's blooming now. It blooms August through October, and it's just a I don't know. It just seeing it in mass like that. Every one that we've taken out there stops and takes pictures of that mm-hmm. crop you know one by itself yeah it's pretty but when you see it in a grouping it's kind of hard to to not pay attention to it yeah it's a really cool plant and it works really really well in mass and it was a plant when we wanted to add it to our seed mixes uh we didn't even know where to find it because it's not it's somewhat available but we want to get new jersey source seed yeah and um and then once we figured out what it was it's like oh this plant is all over the place but it's never really in that really tight yeah. mass form how we're growing it yeah. here where that's when you see it in landscape designs that's how they usually put it so um no it's a great plant yeah really, really i, I think i'm incorporating that into my property yep that's going to be one that's going to be uh definitely a part next year so uh you want to do some uh this or that yeah let's do it so we do have a winner for last week and the if the articles were uh Mine was the the mainstream article in the Washington Post just saying uh, – talking about how important natives are, and Tom had the cat hater. Uh, it wasn't a cat <laughs> hater <laughs> article. It was just adding cats to an invasive species, um, invasive species list in Poland, um, which is – And rightly is, so. Yeah, rightly is, so. Is deserved. So. I, I'm joking around, but rightly oh, so. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, and we do have a winner, and the winner is – Tom's article win. I was ahead like early on. Like you were mm-hmm. ahead, then I was ahead, and you pulled ahead sixteen to thirteen. So it was a little close, yep. but a lot of people agreed with you know Doctor Evil is evil, and he said cats are evil. <laughs> well, Doctor Evil also has that cat as well. So. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> no, a lot of people. This these were topics that a lot of people felt strongly about. So mm-hmm. it was nice to see how many people voted. Um, and they were both really good articles. I think you were yeah. a little concerned you were going to get some backlash over it, yeah, but well, it's amazing how many people agree. Even in the article, the person who had written it um, said they were – I shouldn't say had written the article who published the study uh, got a lot of backlash when it hit mainstream media. And um, and it's, it's a sensitive subject for so many people because it's – we're talking about like Fluffy the Cat or, yeah. or Garfield or you're talking about a pet, um, not something that's – uh, far off and and ugly and like spotted lanternfly. Not that spotted spotted lanternflies are kind of beautiful if you're into that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people is oh, it's an icky bug, and this is something that's might be sitting on your lap while you're enjoying a cup of tea, and uh, and to say that they're grouped together as an invasive species can be hurtful at at face value. Yeah. But when you really dig into it and see the damage that cats are doing, um, to our natural I sh- and I shouldn't say just cats, but outdoor cats and feral cats in particular are doing to our environment. Well, it's pretty easy to see why they should be considered an invasive yeah. species. Yeah, it's. A, I think it's an issue that most people don't realize how aggressive or how many feral cats there are out mm-hmm. there too. Um, like just from – I don't know if I mentioned this before. I think I may have, but at the last place I worked, Princeton Nurseries, which a lot of people considered the country even mm-hmm. though it really yeah. – you know, there was a lot of open land. You would get a lot of cats dropped off. Yeah. And we had over over somewhere between 50 to 100 stray cats, mm-hmm. barn cats, 
and yep. it was you know it was an issue yeah it, it, it was an issue yep. so it's yeah. there's populations like that out there that you may not realize in the damage that they're doing yeah you know i should have followed this my article <laughs> this week i've been doubled down and done found an article on uh how how feral horses are invasive <laughs> species as well. They have their own. Uh, they're much loved, but they have their own environmental uh, detriment, I guess, yes. as well. I so. agree. So you get to choose. Do you want to um, go first or defer? Yeah, I'll go first. All right, just so I go can for get it out of the way. Awesome. So, um, I was really torn this week on what article. I said I, earlier I had that pawpaw article, which was really cool, but uh, no one would have been able to read it. I had to like really back end my way into finding even part of it. Um, there was a really good article that was about, uh, I love this article, by the this way, this is a good one. Yeah. This, I, I, I love went this with article. the layup. Um, there's a really good article. I think Fran and I were talking about how, like with climate change, we're going to experience like 125 degree temperatures, like in most counties in the country. And yeah. it was like maybe 30% of the counties in the country in like 30, 40 years. Um, so, but and then there was another one. That, there's a couple, but I just couldn't find a good way to tie it back to native plants. And then this one really ties back to native plants, and because more so invasive plants and why they're bad. And uh, it was titled "Shoppers are now demanding Home Depot stop selling this. You could unknowingly purchase one of these destructive products." And it was from Best Life Online. And uh, and I'll read a little bit, and then I'll kind of get in my thoughts. So. Most of us head to Home Depot with a list in hand or a project in mind, unless you're really into home improvement. Uh, that's my father-in-law, by the way. He goes to Home Depot to kind of hang out and just randomly helping out strangers, <laughs> giving them tips. That would probably be his dream job for when he retires. Is uh, He's one of the kind of people who's not going to actually retire. He'll go and work at Home Depot and, and help people out. Um, so... Uh, unless you're really into home improvement, you probably aren't aimlessly wandering the aisles. The retailer's inventory is pretty specific, but that's not to say it's limited, as these stores can carry everything from massive appliances to the tiniest nuts and bolts. There's one product Home Depot has on shelves that some shoppers aren't happy about, however, and now there's a petition to have it removed. Just the word invasive has a negative connotation, and when it's applied to plants, you should certainly heed the warning. According to the U.S. Department of Ag, uh, and Forest Service invasive species are those that are not native to U.S. ecosystems and when introduced are likely to cause economic or environmental harm uh, or harm to human health. Invasive plants are able to crowd out native species, and because they have no natural predators, they can quickly spread and without restraint. They can also disrupt the food chain and the diversity of the species, according to the National Wildlife Foundation. Removing and containing them is also wildly expensive, costing the U.S. $21 billion annually, according to data from a February study published in the Journal of Science of the Total Environment. Um, that part of the article, I'm assuming yeah. most of our listeners probably knew that already, but yeah. you never know. So I wanted to make sure I covered, hey, this is what invasive plant is, the actual but, definitions. But, you know, not to, not to get too sidetracked, mm -hmm. but just that alone, like there are people that believe that you shouldn't fight invasives because you're just wasting money. It's inevitable. And there are that's kind of like Arthur Shapiro mm -hmm. with his take compared to Douglas Tapp. There's always that opposition like hey oh, yeah. don't get rid of phragmites keep it because it's providing a function just because someone has a strong opinion on something doesn't necessarily mean it's correct mm -hmm. you got to kind of take everything and thing but that's a perfect example yeah so uh with that in mind it's clear you should be avoiding invasive species as much as possible unfortunately you could be purchasing them accidentally right from the garden center at home depot invasive plants are a threat to the environment but home depot currently sells a wide range both in, in stores and online uh, Chinese-Japanese privet, yellow flag iris, Japanese barberry, English ivy, and calorie pear, just to name a few. 
Now, a petition on change.org has gained steam calling for the home improvement retailer to stop the sale of these invasives altogether. Gardeners and homeowners are trusting Home Depot to sell, plant, uh, to sell plants that are beneficial for our homes, neighborhoods, and environment, not plants that are destructive to our economy, health, and parklands. The petition launched by Lauren Taylor reads, Instead of making things better, Home Depot is creating a bigger problem by selling these invasive plants. According to FX, or FFX Now, Taylor is a volunteer at the Fairfax County Invasive Management Area in Virginia, and she was motivated to launch the petition after spotting certain invasive plants at Home Depot stores in Virginia. By Taylor's calculations, Home Depot sells at least 35 plants that are considered invasive in one or more parts of the country, she told the news outlet. So Home Depot, I'm sure they sell hundreds, if not potentially thousands of different units of plants, Taylor's full, uh, told FFX Now. We're only asking them to stop selling 35. Since its launch earlier this summer, the online petition, which has addressed Ted Decker, Home Depot CEO and president of uh, and president and Craig Meaner, the retailer's chair of the board, uh, has reached 50,000 signatures as of August 17th. In the petition, Taylor stated, stated that Home Depot is by far the worst place to go for unknowingly buying invasive plants. However, there is not uh, it's not the only retailer keeping these dangerous plants in stock, she said, adding they're sold online in garden centers across the country. I shouldn't have, have to question whether a plant I'm buying will harm the planet or threaten my children's future by destroying our ecosystems, Taylor wrote in the petition. She further asserted that the uneducated general public is the biggest problem as they buy these plants that look innocent in their small pots in the garden center. The average gardener might not be aware that the uh, pretty periwinkle flowers are invasive in 11 U.S. states or that the butterfly bush they're buying is invasive in six. Invasive species are so out of control that many people feel completely helpless, Taylor wrote, inciting a call to action. But we have to start somewhere, and Home Depot can start today. Stop selling invasive plants. It's only going to get worse unless we make a change now. You know, it's it's funny. I've been saying – we. Yeah. I know personally I've been saying this for years. There's a Home Depot right around the corner for me. I stop in a couple times a year, and every year I see barberry. I see burning bush. I see all these things that are horrible. And you go inside, and they show you the the, um, the board up front of how they're helping the community. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they're doing all these things yep. to help ruin the community. Um, and that's that's a social responsibility. You want to buy from people that you feel are sending the right message. Mm-hmm. Same way you vote for a politician, you should choose the, the organizations and the company that you decide to support in in a similar fashion. Yeah. And I, am I guilty of doing – yeah, I, I don't know everything about everyone I buy from, and I'm sure mm-hmm. that if I went through the list of stuff that I purchased in the last month, you could easily pick out a few people. Really? You're buying from them? Yeah. Like they do this. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't know. But – this is – if you're a native plant person, this is a big issue that we're trying to prevent, and they're one of the biggest mm-hmm. biggest companies that are not abusing it, but yeah. they're – And I don't – in from Home Depot's point of view, yeah. um, I don't want to say they're no, – they're, they, you can't say they're knowingly no. doing this, but there's yeah. not – Overall, they're not, and the shoppers are probably the bigger issue because they're buying these plants. Why is Home Depot going to stop selling something people are buying? I was going to say you can't you can't say they're not negligent because mm-hmm. many of their buy. I, I've worked with many of their buyers. Yep. Like they're knowledgeable. They they know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not. They're not. Um, you're not. They're they're not unaware. But yeah, at I guess some I was going to say but, they're no more negligent than. The garden centers that are doing the that same are doing thing. the same, or the nurseries it's, that are actually growing oh, yeah. the plants yep. and and selling them to Home Depot. Mm-hmm. It's a much larger issue. But if you can make a change with a well known company like this, you know the reason why these nurseries keep producing these plants because people like Home Depot are buying tens and thousands of them. Mm-hmm. If they can show that the market is 
is not there, then maybe these nurseries will ship to other yeah. plants that they know. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things because our listener base, I'm pretty confident the overwhelming majority of our listener base probably isn't shopping at Home Depot for plants. No. They're going to uh, their, their native plant nurseries, local garden centers, those kind of places. Um, but I would say, like I mentioned, my father-in-law, oh, he's going to buy a plant. He's probably going to go Home Depot <laughs> and he'll get something for, for his wife. Like a lot of, so many people are going, well, obviously there's big enough demand that they have garden centers at every single Home Depot that I've seen. So there's a reason they're doing it and there's a reason they're buying these plants because people are buying People them. are buying them. Now, would I love to see like a gorilla marketing campaign um, where people went in and just started sticking this plant as bad, bad stickers on all yeah. the invasive plants in Home Depot? Oh, that would be awesome. I think yeah. it would really raise awareness similar to how this this petition did. Uh, I wouldn't advocate for people to do that. I would just I would I would what if really, we, I would like to see it. What if all right, what <laughs> if I'm just spitballing here. What if in our native plants healthy planet store there just happened to be stickers <laughs> that said this plant is bad We're, for you to put be... on your Yeti or your yeah, yeah. your school book, you know, on your laptop, the back of your car? Yeah. Like what if what if these stickers existed and said this plan is bad? Mm-hmm. I'm not advocating for anyone to do anything, you know, <laughs> bad or illegal. Or this, if we haven't gotten a cease and desist uh, notice on this podcast ever, this might yeah. be the time. Like do. I'm just saying, like, and you were to TikTok it with the hashtag this plant is bad. Yeah, I'm just I I don't know. That's the the biggest part of this article that to overcoming this problem is going to be is educating the general public that there there is a positive and a negative choice to this and it's you aren't you go into home depot and you look it's just a lot of times it's just a lot of plants every once in a while you get some more like educational material and it doesn't say oh yeah well this plant it doesn't the deer don't eat it it'll say the deer don't eat it and it has beautiful foliage and uh looks nice 12 or 11 months of the year it's not going to say that it's going to send seeds all over the place and, and pollute your ecosystem it, so you have to educate the public. They're only making making their decision off of the benefits that they see. Um, and that's where I was like, oh, yeah, you'd have something like that where all of a sudden there's a sticker on there saying, hey, this is going to ruin the, the woods behind your house um, or something like that. Well, yeah, they're going to make a decision. You're going to have people skip over that plan. Yeah. Um, and it, and but Home Depot's not going to do it. And to me, and, it's, it's not even a, a point of them carrying – more native plants because it doesn't matter if you have native plants and mm-hmm. it goes native invasive native invasive if you don't have someone there explaining yeah. yep. what the difference is and part of my critique is most of the native plant nurseries most not all are growing for restoration purposes which is a much different mm-hmm. looking plant than yeah. a plant that's yep. grown for homeowner use so mm-hmm. if you were to take our plant and put it in a home depot like say a, a sweet pepper bush which is a very popular landscape shrub I don't know, like even though it's a great-looking plant compared to what you see in a garden center, I don't know that people are picking mm-hmm. that over a barberry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If they don't know. Yeah. If they don't – yeah, they don't know the detriments. And like I'll, from selling plants to a retail market, um, I've – the people who know native plants know what to expect. Yes. It's the people who were given a gift card from a, their their sister-in-law is actually a re- actual scenario that I'm going to bring up. <laughs> so, uh, someone gave a gift card to their sister-in-law. They ordered all this stuff. And it was like April, 
and they get the plants, and they're like, "How? This doesn't look anything like the pictures. Like nothing's blooming. Most of the stuff is dead. Yeah. Well, it's it's April. Stuff's just starting to emerge." Said, "Wait two months, and then if if things aren't like plant them, keep a note on where stuff is, and wait two months. If things don't still don't look good, then write back to yeah. me, and I'll I'll refund you for what didn't grow. But I'm confident." I check all the roots before I ship them, yeah. but that's if I was if I was uneducated on how the native plants grew, and I walked in the garden center. There's no way I'm, you want me to buy this clump of root for yeah. her and say it's going to be a baptisia. How am I supposed to? Know I, that? I know. So it's um, where I can go and buy this other plant that looks like something, um, and you have that instant gratification. Yeah. So it's it's. it's it, it, it's taking a, a corporate responsibility mm-hmm. for your actions. Yeah. There are other people – like I said, they're selling them, but there's people growing them. Yeah. And there's a lot of people growing them, and there's other garden centers that are selling them. They're, I, I'm not saying that they're the biggest culprit or the only culprit, but they're probably the most known cul- culprit. Yeah. <laughs> Friend, I'm just thinking about – because I'm thinking about invasive plants and driving around, and, um, and I just remembered – I've you know that – quote that i always bring up about like it's lonely being an ecologist yes. yeah and i've been saying it wrong because i was hearing I think it's an aldo else. leopold it's quote. based off an aldo leopold quote i'm pulling up right now because i i heard it on another podcast and i'm like oh yeah that's the quote i keep thinking of and um uh, where is it well why you're looking at oh, it's a uh, okay. being an ecologist is living in a world of wounds much simpler than it's lonely being an ecologist because you see everything bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's being an ecologist living in a world of wounds because you see all these issues and it's just there's so much hurt. I, I hate driving around in April when the, the Bradford pear and Forsythia is blooming yeah. and you're just like looking at the roadsides. It's, it's I'm depressing. Not a very emotional person, but it's very depressing and you feel like you could cry when you see that. And I almost long to be back in a place of ignorance where you're driving down the road and saying, Oh, look at all the beautiful flowers. It's spring. Spring has sprung. No, it's like actually really, really devastating uh, once you know how terrible those plants can be for our ecosystem and how that area is no longer thriving uh, and and helping the environment. And I will say this. One of the interesting things that I've just learned from my wife or through my wife, I should say, that sometimes just because we know more about it, people are apt to not listen. Yeah, <laughs> and it's you know if I start if I start telling someone the benefits of something native, sometimes if they're not into it, they'll just shut me off because I'm that native plant guy talking about native mm-hmm. plants. But we have, and I think I shared this story with you off the air. We have swamp milkweed that I planted a year and a half ago. That this year kind of showed up a lot more. It was. It, it was the original two plants, but there were seven, eight other plants popping up. And my, we got our first monarch caterpillars. We got our first monarch butterflies. My wife was thrilled that, mm-hmm. that these came in. So she started taking some of the extra plants and bare rooting them and putting them in mason jars with water and handing them out to other people saying, mm-hmm. hey, if you want monarch caterpillars, this is yep. what you should be planting. So while one of the mason jars were in the house, we didn't realize there were – eggs mm-hmm. turn into a caterpillar and she started chronicling it on facebook oh, like no through way. now it's yeah. now it's in a um, um chrysalis mm-hmm. so how many people because 
are feeding off of her excitement and learning from it. They want to learn from yeah. it. She's reaching yeah. way more people than I've ever reached trying to talk about this. Which I, And now mm-hmm. she's collected seed. She's taking seed to work and handing out milkweed seeds so they can grow their own plants to have their own monarch butterflies. And I was like, wow, first of all, look at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and second of all, look how many people are coming to you that are interested in this. And I don't think I would have had the same effect if I would have yeah. tried to have had that conversation. So it's um, it's important who you try to reach also. Like mm-hmm. if those same people that didn't want to hear from me don't want to hear from me about what's invasive, they need someone kind of ground level explaining to them also yeah. why it's important for invasives to be yep, or why you don't want to purchase them. Yeah. Sorry. That was a wide tangent. No, no. I think it was very applicable because yeah. that's – education is – of the general public is the biggest issue we face, not just with invasive plants, but about native plants as yeah. well. And, and it, it's, uh, it's coming from a peer yeah. other than someone that they view as trying to sell them something. Exactly. And I'm someone trying to sell them something, yeah. even though I'm not trying to sell them plants. I'm trying to sell them the ideology of native yeah. plants. And, and even to think about it this way, where how many things do you do uh, that you don't necessarily enjoy or, or understand, but you do it because you have a spouse that, you know, mm. if I yeah. do this, they're, it makes them happy. Yeah. Uh, I think about how I recycle at home. In recycling, that could be another take it or leave it. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I'm like, hey, you know what? It doesn't hurt to try. Um, I don't know where this stuff goes, but I know if I put it in the garbage can, it's going in the garbage. We've talked about recycling. Yes. Yeah. My wife... Probably doesn't care. Well, she definitely doesn't care as much as I do about doing it, and she doesn't care about learning about what can go in and can't as much as I do. But she does it because probably because she knows I get really mad at her if if I don't or if she doesn't. So sometimes you do stuff for other people, and other people will do that for you because they know how much joy it brings you to have that. You give someone a plant, and they're going to plant because they know – you're going to come over and ask what you did with the plant or what yeah. they did with the plant when you come over. So they're going to make sure they plant it or have it in a place where you can see it when you come by. So it's uh, sometimes people do stuff out of guilt. Yeah. Me. This <laughs> so this is wow, – well, I just realized, wow, I still have to yeah, give my article. article. But this is a great article. I think it gives us a lot to think about. We're not trying to vilify anyone. Mm-hmm. We're, we're just hoping that – your actions speak louder than words. You can sign a petition. Don't buy plants from Home Depot. If that's if that's how you really want to make a change, don't buy plants there. And then eventually they'll realize they need to make a change. So there's there's many different ways you can handle this. Or if you're incredibly wealthy, you go to Home Depot and buy all the native plants they have. And they say, oh, we're going to need to buy more native yeah. plants. Oh, that's perfect. That's a positive way to do it. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, I'm just still thinking about that this plant is bad sticker. I know that would be like that would be someone if someone did it I would I would audibly clap from uh, my own home me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not not like uh, applaud or anything. but it would be it would be that's one way to do it um, that's not legal yeah in any way but it's it's educating a consumer base. Um, it's just not how Home Depot would do it. No, exactly. So. Um, so my article this week is called Gardening's Hottest Trend is Here, The Big Shift in Native Plants and What It Means for Your Business. Uh, and this is was in Forbes. It's a, it's a February article, so it's not completely new, uh, and it's written by Tammy Sons, and I will read it. It's not, it's not that long. Um, 
For many years, hybrid varieties have been the aesthetically pleasing option for plant lovers. However, this spring gardening season is bringing a big trend shift as gardeners go back to native plants. We've seen a clear shift in the gardening industry coming from home and garden taste leaders in New York. They don't want hybrid plants that are susceptible to disease. They are conscious of the environment and the low-maintenance care that comes with what's natural. Homeowners are tired of having hybrid plants that require care that includes hiring a lawn service or spending countless hours on their hands and knees. As homeowners realize how low-maintenance native plants are, they set all the herbicides, insecticides, and pesticides aside to enjoy the ease of native plants. This season, the popularity of native plants is off the charts. Keep reading to find out how you can prepare your nursery or gardening business for this growing trend. Why Gardeners Are Going Native Native plants are species that occur naturally in an environment because these plants thrive without interference. They are extremely hardy and low-maintenance. This also makes these easy-to-care-for plants a good choice for beginning gardeners. They don't require a lot of maintenance in order to successfully grow. Instead of spending countless hours – or sorry, instead of spending countless amounts of money and time on hard-to-grow plants, gardeners leave native plants to grow under Mother Nature's watch. For every climate in the states, there are native plants that will survive and thrive under volatile weather conditions. Plant lovers are looking to be free from pesticide. That's another benefit – native plants offer. This naturally occurring foliage supports ecology because it grows without harsh chemicals. Native plants don't require any fertilizer and get by with minimal irrigation. As a product offering, native plants are a no-brainer. These native varieties survive and thrive easily, sending customer satisfaction through the roof. That's just uh, one reason why we shifted TN Nursery to be a native plant nursery. Uh, Popular native plants for your audience. When it comes to native plants, wildflowers are always a popular choice for customers. Everyone loves the rainbow of colors that spring up naturally as the weather warms. Wildflowers are much easier to cultivate than domesticated plants. They offer ease and beauty to gardeners who are going for blooms. On the other side of our audience, we see many government environmental organizations looking looking to native plants for restoration efforts. These native plants are used in habitat plantings to restore riverbanks, wetlands, and more with foliage that originally grew there. This is essential for wildlife restoration because those native plants are a part of the animal's natural diet or where they make their homes. Native seedlings are a great pick when it comes to restoration and plant mitigation. Live stakes are utilized to restore wetlands and prevent soil erosion. Uh, Fastenings and brush layers are also used by environmental organizations for stream bank, watershed, and wetland restorations. Uh, At TN Nursery, we've worked with the state of Tennessee to supply river chain for a wetland restoration project. Your offerings might fill the need of a whole new niche if you look beyond your current clientele. With a broad perspective, you might uncover another problem your product can solve and expand your business by offering that solution. Um, The problem with hybrid plants. Hybrid plants are created when someone takes a native plant and modifies it. They do this to create fancier varieties of the native species, but the modification process often has a negative effect. Take, for example, the pawpaw tree. It's grafted with another species to try to improve its aesthetics and make its fruit larger. The consequence of this process is that the tree loses its hardiness and berries lose their flavor. Many environmental problems comes with things that are man-modified. We see that magnified in Bradford pear trees. This popular tree comes from the prickly pear that grows in the wild. Some nurseries will graft the Bradford pear bloom into that prickly pear. It makes a beautiful Bradford pear tree, but when the heavy rain, snow, or ice comes, the tree splits right down the middle. It gets so top-heavy, it's destroyed in nature. These negative effects can lead to a huge consequence for a business. Unhappy customers are one thing. Lawsuits are another. Extensive damage can occur when a large tree falls. Moving away from hybrid plants can help businesses protect themselves and their customers. Beginning and expert gardeners are like 
are seeing the benefits of native plants and putting them first on their wish list for spring. By becoming a native plant nursery, our website traffic has surged. Gardening's hottest trend this season is undoubtedly native plants as plant lovers come for the foliage that will withstand the elements and grow for years to come. So I love that this was written by someone towards businesses saying these are the Mm -hmm. benefits of going here. Like it's – yeah, it's one thing to to focus on the things that you always sell that you're profitable with. Mm -hmm. But – the trends are changing. There's a new market. It's a better market. People are becoming more knowledgeable. Be part of that trend moving towards mm-hmm. it. And this kind of fits in with your art. You know, yeah. it ties in with your Paul Paul choice, and it ties in with your article about uh, selling these things to a wider public because the public is aware. There's fifty thousand people that signed that that petition because they know that it's not a great thing to be be done. So. Um, I just thought it was a very good article, very aware that they're approaching other nurseries saying, here's the trends that you should be following. The the clientele and the customers are getting more educated mm-hmm. and start moving that way. So and it was in Forbes, which which yeah. I appreciate. Now the 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 downside yes. of this is as native plants become more popular, you have nurseries that have been in traditional horticulture for a long time and say, oh, this is something we can grab onto and market, but not change our cultural practices. Yeah. They're they're buying in because there's dollar signs, not because they believe in it. Correct. Um and I'm trying to put this away that I'm not bashing anybody <laughs> directly or it can be traced back to who I'm talking about. But I've seen marketing campaigns where you have things that are, are advertising towards pollinators, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily done in a pollinator-friendly way. Like, it's, the plants are good for pollinators. That's there. But um, you have companies that, oh, there's companies that grow milkweed and use neonics on them. The yeah. point of a neonic is to, to stop insects from eating the actual plant. So I, I was at a conference a couple weeks ago, and they're saying, oh, yeah, you can use neonics, and they're fine for pollinators because the pollinators are – Feeding on the plants, especially if you time it up right, the pol- like the flowers aren't going to have any of the neonic in it. Fine for bees and butterflies. What about the caterpillars? The caterpillars are eating on that plant, so it's mm. not fine for pollinators because no. that's a big part of that life cycle. The larval it's- stage is just as important as the adult, and um, so you'll have companies that are selling both invasive plants and native plants and saying, "Oh, look, we grow native plants," and but they're they're just doing it for the money. Yeah. Uh, and so and it was good publicity. You grow native plants, good publicity. So. You know, I will say this. In my experience in 33 years now in the industry, when I started, there were a lot more native plants. Mm-hmm. Like I'd say 50% of the offerings that we had at the first nursery I worked were native plants. And it's native plants that people ask for now that no one has in cultivation. Mm-hmm. The hybrids really started because of the marketing. It was a dollar sign. It wasn't that they necessarily believed. Maybe in some instances like, oh, this this is uh, tolerant of this blight and it's not going to die. And that's why you might might have some of that belief. But it was an opportunity and it was dollar signs because there was marketing behind it and people Mm -hmm. knew that name. People knew Bradford Pear and they were going to buy Bradford Pear. They didn't know the bad parts, but they knew the good parts. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was everyone – and Bradford Pear is just a variety, but everyone knows that name. <laughs> yeah. So I think a lot of the reason why people got into this was money-driven. 
hopefully, you know, and you're going to get bad information regardless. You, yeah. you want to go to a place that you trust that you're getting good information, not just mm-hmm. good plants. You, you know, you want to get reputable advice from who you're purchasing plants yeah. from. I think that's part of it. And the, the biggest thing you can do to help educate yourself, whether this is going to be a, a good outlet for native plants or a bad one is just kind of look through their list. I shouldn't say a bad one, but maybe a not as good one. Just look through their list. And if they have anything that has like, I'm thinking of Japanese maples, not that Japanese maples yeah. are necessarily a bad yeah. plant, but that means that they're selling other plants outside of native plants. And then it's up to or, you whether you're comfortable buying them or anything or variegated. Yeah. Typically <laughs> yeah. that's a good, that's a good you talent. You usually point. tell by a lot of the common names where that, or I should say a lot, but some of them you can tell that that plant's not from here. Or if you uh, – are there any native privets? I don't believe so. So if you see that they have certain kinds of privets that you know some of them are invasive on their website, you, know, you might want to dig in and say, well, is this even a native plant? Is How about some of the other plants? That's where it gets tricky because you're now branding saying, oh, we grow native plants, but not everything's native plants. And you'll have people who aren't digging deeper saying, oh, well, look, I bought this native plant. And it ends up to be a type of privet that's not native here and yeah. it could actually be invasive here, but they're thinking they're buying a native plant and helping the environment mm-hmm. by doing so. So you just, it's, I wish it was easier, but as it gets more popular, we're going to see more and more and more of that where people are the, the best way in to, for the cash. Yeah, the best way to do it is just to become more, more knowledgeable as a buyer. Yep. The more you know, the less, you know, I, you know, I do my research before I buy a car. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just it's bad for the the general public who they're just getting what looks good to them and maybe buying something that's native and has uh, an ecological benefit is a plus, but it's not their main purchasing point. Yeah, and now they're being I don't want to say swindled. Swindled is the wrong word, but they're being confused. Man, I feel um, I feel preachy today. Oh yeah. Man, I'm... We've had two preachy articles. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most preachy I think I've ever felt. Yep. At least I'm acknowledging that. Um, you know, we're just... We're, we're talking about some things that we're very passionate about, mm-hmm. and we're hoping that this resonates with people that are passionate about yeah. also. So, yeah. and it's... You know, you, you want some of these things that we know are wrong to stop, and hopefully, you know, I like to focus on... All right, if Home Depot wants to carry invasives buy from someone that promotes selling native plants you know focus on the positive focus on hey i'm going to give my business to the company that's doing the right thing by us and and that's where i want to go we just need more of those people doing the right thing and i think this article that i read is promoting to businesses to understand that opportunity yeah hopefully they embrace it listen we're in the native plant business we know that there's native plant nurseries that we know that are doing it for the wrong reasons Mm -hmm. You you can figure that out pretty quickly. Do it. Work with one that's doing it for the right reasons. Yep. So that's your two articles, two great articles. I'm okay with whichever one you vote for. We spent a lot of time preaching about both of them. So uh, it's Tom's article on uh, uh, Home Depot and, and mm-hmm. the petition, the petition to, for them to stop growing uh, native plants. Mine is the Forbes article on business opportunities for becoming a native plant nursery. So uh, we'll post this on the Facebook page, uh, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook page this weekend, and make sure you vote because the choice is yours. I didn't play the jingle. How's that? Um, (laughs) You can play the jingle, friend. No, I haven't been feeling it because I I agree that that it's not good because it says then, of course, the choice is yours. And I think – I can't remember who it was, but someone actually emailed us. 
And said, yeah, you could say this. You could say this as your lead-in, but that's too much work. <laughs> it's easier for me just not to do it. All right. We have uh, some listener shout-outs this week. Listener, listener, shout-out. Shout I should rephrase that and say you have some listener shout-outs this week because all our five-star reviews dried up. Yeah, there's so. nothing like now that we gave out the plants, they've they've all gone away. But <laughs> I I think you you will back me on this. It was nice to see. Um, actually, you can you can use our upcoming guest next week as a listener shout. That's out. true. Yeah. So um, I want to thank two former guests uh, that were here last week: uh, Marty McHugh from uh, Sumco Eco Contracting and uh, Russ Frenari from or formerly of PSG, now retired. Um, PSENG, uh, they were here for a Society of Ecological, Ecological Restoration um, tour and, and meeting. And uh, it was just nice seeing their faces. I don't think – I've seen Russ at other events, but yeah. I don't think I've seen Marty uh, for a long time. So mm-hmm. it was nice to have them here and have them mention the podcast and that they're enjoying it and offer feedback. And we're actually going to hear from Russ a little bit later. Yeah. And then uh, the two I would pick this week is actually at that same meeting you had um, – had Bill Young also from Sumco Eco Contracting, and uh, and he said, "I admit I'm a little behind, but I really love this episode of uh, I can't remember what episode it was." But he said, "I really love this episode." I had a really cool conversation with Blaine Rothhauser, who also listens, um, and he was saying he loves the articles. I think I said this last time. Loves the articles. Love the um, love the native plant every day. Which we got. We were too busy this summer to get through. So this winter, we're going to try and do some more of those, and then. Um, the other one I had is uh, is Terry Doss, who wrote us a nice email. She's not going to hear this for a while because she's behind. Yes. But uh, she works at a really cool place, and uh, and she's going to be a future guest. So. And she's a, a long, long-time friend of the family. Oh, yeah. Uh, business partner through other, other businesses that she's worked. Mm-hmm. So it was just nice to hear from someone that we respect greatly oh, yeah. to have them say how much they're appreciating the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's great that she's agreed to to be a yeah. next week's guest on the podcast. Talk about a really, really cool ecosystem right here in New Jersey. I'm not going to spoil it and no. say what it is yet. And we've kind of mentioned it here or there throughout the two years, mm-hmm. and it's nice to have someone that, that really knows about it that we can have a conversation yes. with. So we're excited to have someone we respect on uh, and have a good conversation. Um, you don't have a girl read a book. I you? don't have a girl read a book. We don't I have haven't a, done enough reading. And we don't have a topic technically – We'll turn the this the, the phone call because yeah. we do have we do have a comment. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um, no, I didn't hear you. What was your question? And I think with that, I'm just gonna I'm gonna play the voicemail. Hey, Fran, Tom, this is Russ Frenari. Um, thank you for the reminder that I owed you. Uh, a further response to the energy questions that you had. Um, referring to the most recent one first, um, the peak period thing, I think Tom had it pretty much right. Uh, the one thing I would say is that uh, each individual usage ultimately gets aggregated up so that, you know, how they plan for the power needs is done on a system-wide basis. Uh, and, and maybe broken into regions, but you know, it, it is added up and, and looked at, and that's how they then look at how much power is needed at a particular block in each day. Uh, and then of course that leads to, uh, how much it costs. Uh, relative to nuclear, 
Uh, I am a big supporter of nuclear. I think it's important. Uh, and actually, uh, when it comes to nuclear versus uh, uh, or, or in combination with renewables, I think it's an all of the above uh, need if we're going to you know, meet all the climate change issues and address those things in the years ahead. Um, not one piece of, uh, of this, whether it's solar or wind or nuclear, is going to achieve everything we need to achieve in the total amount of power. Um, that we're going to need to use, especially if we're going to be looking at increasing the amount of energy use to electrify things like electric vehicles uh, and changing over, uh, you know, down the road as things develop uh, on the the types of, of energy use in your home where more of your heat and cooling is all done by electric equipment, heat pumps and, and things like that. So that's my answer to you. And by the way, I will see you Friday for the Society of Ec- Ecological Restorations tour. Uh, between now and then, have a good one. And we did, did see Russ on we did. last Friday. We did, yes. Uh, so if and that's a, if you're in the industry and you aren't a member of the the Society of Ecological Restoration, um, the mid or our chapter locally is I don't know if it's the Mid Atlantic chapter or what the exact the name is, but that's kind of kickstarting again to, to boost its membership start having regular meetings once again so um we just hosted one here at foggy bottom farms which is our seed farm for was that for nursery. massachusetts chapter i don't know th- was it for mid-atlantic chapter think, yeah okay so um so yeah so if you're interested in that kind of stuff uh that's a, a good organization to check out no matter where you are in the world i i i really appreciate russ's answer because it made me as i was listening to it again it made me realize, of, of course, you know, if you like native plants, you wouldn't plant a monoculture. You kind of need mm-hmm. a multitude of options yeah. to perform different functions. And I, I, I agree that as long as one of them's not hurting our environment, I guess the 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 biggest way to to lessen the footprint is to have multiple types of mm-hmm. energy yeah. rather than have all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. So I I don't know why I'd never thought about that, but it makes perfect sense hearing Russ say it. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really interested in in having this um energy episode that we have i'm really yeah. interested in seeing because i like it's something we don't know enough about and I, but I, we know the people that do so it'll be interesting to see what conclusions come out of there and how we solve all the world's energy problems you know we should be able to have someone that represents electric solar and wind wind uh, or electric wind and and nuclear was it uh might be nuclear. nuclear yeah it would be great if we could do all four electric mm-hmm. solar wind and nuclear that would be a great rooted discussion and and have a really in depth conversation just in how that maybe how they each impact the environment yeah or the benefits that each has one of the the interesting things that just for people to ponder at home is is I guess most air conditioning units are only supposed to be able to lower the temperature of your house like twenty five degrees at most yeah so you have a hundred degree day yeah you can keep it roughly seventy five. And um, what that article I've referenced before, which I will, I'll probably post it on in the Facebook group, um, and I won't cover it on an episode. But uh, it was saying, well, you're going to have heat index days like up over 125 for multiple days in a lot of the country. Could you imagine being in your house and (laughs) your air conditioner is only Mm -hmm. keeping your house at like 95 or 90 or Mm -hmm. like just barely keeping up to keep it there? Mm -hmm. Oh my god, that would be brutal. Well, that's I, I think about it. Before I moved, 
I had to replace my air conditioner because the unit was actually 35 years old. Mm-hmm. That, that When they came to look at it, they were amazed that this thing was still yeah. running. Yeah. Um, and it got to the point the last year it couldn't keep the house cooler than 76 to 78 degrees mm-hmm. and how uncomfortable that was during <laughs> during really hot yeah. days and the amount of energy that it was taking just mm-hmm. to not keep me comfortable yeah. and what a difference it was going to a new unit and how much more energy efficient. Mm-hmm. Like think about what they're going to have to create. Oh, yeah. To, yeah, to and even, even with heat too, you'd start thinking the other way, like how much energy you have to put in the heat. But well, it's um, man, it's well in sixty years I'll be dead, and so this, I'm not really. It worried had about other it. complications too, because outside of just comfort, because this some of the counties were up the east coast, yeah. almost in New Jersey, it was like yeah. uh, Delaware County and Pennsylvania was kind of the cutoff. Yeah. But like Georgia was getting slammed in this, yeah. in this projection. Um, the other place that was really hard hit was if you follow the Mississippi River up through Louisiana, Arkansas, Nebraska, and it even went up in like Iowa. And you start thinking of that region and how much of our wheat production, really for the world, but especially for the United States, States comes from that area and how much of the world relies on that wheat production. And now you're talking about temperatures where Maybe. you probably wouldn't be able to grow things like corn and wheat and yeah. on a, a as or as easily I said, without irrigation. Well, um, man, you're talking about some big, big problems in the not too distant future. Well, so. I'll I'll tell you what really resonated with me, especially with our last episode with Dr. Johnny Kispe on urban restoration. Um, so after that episode, my wife and I went to the Port Richmond Pierogi Festival mm-hmm. in in Philadelphia, and it was like a 95 degree day, and it was crowded. Mm-hmm. Well, there were there were. You know, I could have counted maybe five trees in that yeah. couple block radius. It was so unbearable. The heat just it it felt like almost like capacitating, yeah. like in in your chest. And I'm like, how do people live like this? Like, there's got to be a way to offset this, mm-hmm. you know. And and most of those houses, it was an area that my wife lived when she was younger, and she's like, these houses didn't have yeah air conditioners. Like, you could put one in the basement, and we slept in the basement over the. Mm-hmm. Over the summer when it was really hot, but you think about the impacts of all this impervious pavement and mm-hmm. the reflection of the heat and and all of those things, and it's just like we need to do something because I I can't imagine. And if you're that uncomfortable, you can't be happy. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Like I was just thinking about if I had to live like this every day, I don't know if I would joke around as much as I joke around because mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable to. You can't be that happy and that uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Now you go back not that far. There wasn't any. <laughs> any I know. Like uh, air conditioning at least, but I don't think they were having those. Like you talk, they didn't have that paved inner city yeah. with yeah. with very little trees too. Um, because as soon as you got out of the city, you could get a breeze. Yeah, you weren't getting you. You were getting the reflection and the heat, and, and you still, still had air. cities, but you didn't have the the blacktop yeah. and the everything was was. I guess you had bricks. Yeah. So another thing we don't know everything about, and we're talking about anyway. Yeah. So why don't we get on to our our take it or leave it for today? So Unless you had something else to say? I, no, no, not at all. I just feel this. I threw this in here, and I'm like, this is too big of a topic, and mm-hmm. I, I threw it in here, and maybe I need to. To narrow it, so I, okay. I the, the take it or leave it I threw in here was historical restoration, going back to pre-colonization. I should, mm-hmm. given how much 
time has changed and time will change. Do you feel that historical restoration is still appropriate to pre-colonization? Oh, man. And that's a yes or no question. Yeah. Uh, Are you taking it or <laughs> no, leaving? I, I'm going to take it. And I referenced this cartoon a couple times on the podcast before. But um, there's a cartoon and it's a seminar at the Global, or the global Warming uh, Symposium. And, um, and there's a guy giving a, a presentation in the cartoon saying, like, what we're going to do to stop global warming. And you have someone standing up in the crowd saying, what if global warming's a myth and we're doing this all, making the planet a better place mm. for nothing? And, and it's like, it's still the same thing. I think by combating invasive plants, bringing in more green spaces that have multi-level ecological value, it's not hurting. I mentioned recycling before. Yeah. Is it all going and actually becoming uh, basketball courts and playgrounds and, and be, having another life? Most of it probably isn't. But some of it is, and it wouldn't be if I just threw it in the, in the trash can, or even worse, I threw it out the window. It definitely isn't having another life then. Yeah. But, um, but say, I mean, some things you can't restore because you're not going to have, like in yeah. our area, you're not going to have chestnuts again, at yeah. least not anywhere in the near future. Mm-hmm. I know they're working on some things, and, and maybe that's even a topic that we can yeah. have in the future. Um, but say something hasn't been naturally occurring here for 100 years. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to reintroduce it? I guess you could even go back further and say, is it fair to reintroduce mammoths? And they're working on some of these mammoth DNA studies. I don't know how um, I feel about that. Because no, it, it survived in, in a time yeah. that doesn't exist anymore. Yep. Yep. And I don't know what the cutoff is, but if you go back to pre-colonial times, like if some, something hasn't naturally existed here, mm-hmm. I think most of the – I shouldn't I'm, – I'm, I know I'm guessing here. Most of the damage has probably occurred over the last 70 years. 70, 80 years. Yeah. yeah. So before there, there was damage happening, but not at the exponentially greater mm-hmm. rate that is happening today. Yeah. Like, I don't know what that cutoff is. Well, it, like, if it naturally declined before some of the things that we're doing now, should you reintroduce? I know. Well, even going back further, they're saying that just the like, colonial era, cutting of forests, starting of agriculture, like tilling yeah. ground, actually had major consequences contributions to that's what kind of set so this is 1700s we're yeah talking, was setting the ball in motion on global warming yeah you released a lot of carbon stored carbon and then yeah. you you cut down the things that were t- soaking in that carbon um and that's like so we, they can go back i guess through i can't remember what kind of studies it was like what kind of surveys it was either soil or peat or they were surveying something and they mm-hmm. could tell how when they started to see um massive increases in carbon um excretion from yeah. and that where and basically tracks back to like the 1730s yeah. or something maybe even sooner um so it's only amplified since then but well, well it's like me, all right i'm, yeah. I'm gonna throw something out which ties in in the mm-hmm. future yeah say say you have an area that was fresh water that's dammed and is now brackish mm-hmm. Do you restore it back to fresh water? Do you remove the dams and try to restore it back to fresh water? I guess Knowing depends, that's what yeah. it was pre-colonization. Yeah, if like, you could, I would say you should. Okay. Um, if you can't, like like the the area you're referencing, yeah. then I don't think it's possible, possible. to. Um, okay. I think it's just too changed, and you would have to destroy way too much, like, large infrastructure yeah. um, to, to do it. But 
I agree yeah. in removing dams. Yeah. I, I really do. If they're not necessary, remove them, try to go back. And a lot of that is restoring itself because the, yeah. the stuff is in the seed bank. Yep. I I don't know where that cutoff should be. And I think that's part of the reason – the reason why I wanted to bring this up with Arthur Shapiro and, and Douglas Tallamy, he brings up that line of what you're actually trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't necessarily subscribe to Arthur Shapiro's point of view because it's – it's more of a hopeless point but of view. But you think it raises a valuable – or I think it raises a valuable, valuable question. Like timeline. how do we come up with this timeline? And to me, I think it's the right yeah. time frame yeah. um, because – It's okay you, to question. I'm, I'm completely go, okay We with can't it. go further back. We don't know reliably enough yeah. what was there. Yeah. Um, and then that's when we started seeing massive changes. I think it was uh, – I want to say it's the book Sapiens. That I've talked about on on here, or maybe it was either Sapiens or 1491. I don't remember, but it was saying how they had um, they were finding uh, species European species of bluegrass in Kentucky when the first uh, first Europeans ever made it to Kentucky. So the the plants actually beat them there, yeah. and it was because. Probably because they came over with Columbus or some of those yeah. first missions. The seed came over, got planted somehow, whether the humans did it or, or not, and then just worked its way across the country. And by the time the first Europeans ever set foot in Kentucky, that plant was already there. Um, so that's when, why I think that 1491 is, even though there's Europeans that were yeah. here sooner. But uh, that's kind of like a good time frame where we started having the historical record to know what was here. And then also that's kind of when things really started to amp up and change faster. Yeah. So. I don't know. I feel as things change, I don't know if, I, if I'm if i taking yeah. historical restoration because yeah. as things change, I don't know if it's relevant mm-hmm. to go back, if it's even sustainable to go back that far. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm, I'm anti-restoration. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it needs to be – a more recent period of time. Yeah, and that's where it gets to be like an ethical discussion. Um, I, that was one of my favorite classes I had in college was uh, this environmental ethics class, and it, we just read papers. We read Aldo Leopold. We read Thoreau. We read all these different, uh, like, I'm sure we read Gifford Pinchot and, yeah. and um, <laughs> Rick McCoy's going to make fun of me. John Muir, I was going to say. The <laughs> other guy's name I can't remember again. Uh, we read all that kind of stuff. But then you had kind of the, the opposite end of the spectrum and people writing, well, why do we even care? Because seven generations from now, they're not going to care at all. They'll be like, why the heck were these? It? We're, we're investing all this green energy and saying, oh, we want to slow down on how much oil we're drilling. And they're seven generations from now are going to be like, could you believe these idiots were just leaving all this in the ground? Yeah. And we could have been using it the whole time. Think about how far more advanced we were if we were using this. Um, they're not, they're going to kind of have the opposite approach. My and I'm going to bring up uh, a fellow, Doug Duran, because he has a great quote in my mind. Is like, it's not ours, it's our turn. Yeah. And my point of view is I would like for future generations to have their turn. I don't want to be the one who makes that decision that takes it away, even though they might not care. Yeah. And they may say, oh, these – and on the flip side of that, if we just use it all and then there is no seven generations from now, so there's no yeah. one even to care about it. <laughs> so it's uh, – but, yeah, my, my point of view tends to be like I don't want to be the one who – who was who, the, who the, ruined it? Who ruined it and was the last user, or even the second to last user, third to last user? I want to hope there's ten more users or twenty more users after me. So yeah, I think um, 
you know, so much of what happens is for profit. And mm-hmm. I think that shapes a lot of how things happen. And, you know, there has to be a voice of reason. And I, I appreciate those that see the damage that happens that, that think about a more sustainable mm-hmm. approach. Um, I don't know. I you, you look at so many other countries and, like, their views on recycling and some of the other things that they're able to accomplish. And you look at why can't that happen here? <laughs> and it's because I think there's so many interests involved that prevent that sometimes. Mm-hmm. I agree. I don't want to be the generation that, that kills it for future generations or kills future generations. Um, there's got to be a better way. And I'd, I'd hate to just keep doing what we're doing without realizing that we could find it, it never hurts to find a better solution or a better alternative, regardless yeah. of what. The, and we're going to make mistakes figuring that out. We're going to think something's a better solution and find out it's it's actually worse. But you have to you have to have those trials and error to figure out how you're going to proceed forward in a better way. So that's all I got. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy listening to the buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Native Plants, Healthy Planet, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Uh, also, thank you, R.J. Comer, for our Buzz theme music. I don't know where we'd be without it. Um, yeah, you can listen to R.J.'s music on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you consume your music. You can buy it. Um, but if you really want to get an idea of what R.J.'s about, check out his Pandora playlists. Uh, he has some great uh, Americana-type playlists that that I think you will really enjoy his curated taste in music. And I, I, I listen to them just around the house. I don't even really use Pandora that much, but once I discovered these, I, I listen to them all the time. I think you'll enjoy them. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, call the question and comment line. We really appreciate Russ calling in and leaving the comments today. You can call us too at 215-346-6189. You can ask a question or leave a comment. If we pick your question or comment, which we will, uh, we're going to play it on a future episode of The Buzz and answer it to the best of our ability. If we can't, we will call someone that can. And uh, hey, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group just keeps growing and great conversations, great articles. I love the community that's that's built there, and, and I appreciate everything that everyone's doing. Yeah, so you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Um, you're probably going to listen on the Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, when you're there, after, if you like the episode especially, uh, if you can do us a favor and leave us a five-star review, that goes a long way into getting more people on this train of hearing Native Plants Healthy Planet. So uh, you can also find Native Plant Healthy Planet merch at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, there is a banner at the top of the page. You click that, it'll take you to our Teespring store. Uh, there's some cool designs. I'm actually wearing one today. Um, our, our Doug Talmy. You are. I was very impressed Quirkus when I Prunus, saw that. Salix, Betula, and Populus shirt. I love it. So, And those are some of the, the species that are best for uh, Lepidoptera. Yes. So your butterflies and your moths. So um, you can buy this shirt right on that store, and some of that money is going to go to, in that case, Dr. Talmy's research. We have ones for the Xerxes Society and New Jersey Audubon. And then the stuff that's kind of more uh, general we pick out uh, uh, someone to receive all the profits uh, for those shirts. The last uh, one was Bowman's Bowman Hill. Bowman's Hill. Yeah, so fantastic. I don't have a secret, and I don't think you do either. 
we got to get a little more serious about putting a secret together. Yeah. I keep forgetting yeah. about it as an afterthought. So it's like yeah. I don't really – I was just – as you were talking, I was trying to, to think of something. <laughs> my, my secret would be that I got invited to a secret event. We were both supposed to go to the secret event, but Fran I, bailed. I did bail. So, But uh, we're always happy to go to the Mount Cuba um, trial gardens soiree they have once a year. And just kind of walk through the trial garden, see what they have going on. This year, their highlight was on Carrix. They, their Vernonias are amazing. Really? Um, and that's all research that is going to help the home gardener. Because uh, we talk about cultivars every yeah. once in a while and, and how we feel about them. But uh, Someone has to been, do research. Yeah, someone has to do the research and see, hey, this is what actually works, at least in our neck of the woods. Yeah. And they're doing a great job with that. Sam is is awesome. Uh, a lot of great people down there. I can't wait to, to go back and visit. A lot of our former guests and, and our colleagues were there, and it sounded like there was a great, great crowd. I'm sorry I yeah. missed it. I will say I didn't – no one complimented me on the podcast this time. Last really? year I got a lot of compliments, and not one this time. But I also wasn't as social as I was last time either. So. But all right. Well, that's okay. That's, that's okay. going to wrap us up. Thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. We have a very special episode and guest next week that we've been teasing, so make sure you tune in for that. And we will see you again next time, and until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.